Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. And I can hear you, Sebastian. We're just trying to figure out what the audio issue is on our Zoom line. Yeah, the British census data. I mean, that was unexpected way to start off the new year. Yeah. So it's actually pretty interesting because I've been looking at the results. Uh, It's been published on a whole bunch of websites. And I actually went to the original, like, uh, gov.uk website to look at the, the official stuff because, I don't know. Not not going to say that I don't trust other reporters, but, you know, it's always better to go to the source if you can. Um, but anyway, the, the results are almost identical to the Williams Institute survey from, I'm going to say, 18 years ago now. And it kind of had the same results, which was about 3.2 to 3.5% of the population overall. And um, it was also kind of interesting to look at, at the, the breakdown of this. They... They, they did by region as well, so you could actually see where the hotspots are. Like, what are the major gay communities? What are the major communities uh, that have a lot of uh, trans people in them? Um, and uh, the, the results, uh, about 0.5% of the England and Wales population is uh, any kind of trans or gender non-conforming, non-binary uh, and about 3.2% of the population is gay, bisexual, and lesbian. And they didn't do this detail, but I'm... Well, actually, it's probably in the... If I were to download the uh, the spreadsheets and actually go through them by hand, I probably could find this. But what the Williams Institute found, and I, I, I suspect they probably found a similar thing here, is that there are about as twice as many gay men as bisexual men and about twice as many bisexual women as gay women. And there's about the same number of gay men and bisexual women. So weird, but also kind of interesting. It, it's it's almost the same results. And this is this is almost two decades later. There's been a lot, lot of social progress. So you can't really say it's about people coming out or not coming out. Although in both cases, about six to eight pop- percent of the population chose to not answer so it's kind of interesting to see the same uh well not identical but very similar results coming out basically every time they do this um but yeah i i did a little bit of digging so the office Uh of national statistics in britain uh created i think it's ons um, essentially stats canada but british Uh, they created a map which sort of mapped out the concentration of LGBT folks. Mm -hmm. Um, The startling surprise, I mean, first of all, Brighton being... Brighton, 10%. One in 10 people. One in 10 people. I mean, if you know anything about Brighton, then that's not necessarily the, you know, a a shock. But like Norwich had a huge gay community and... uh, uh, Bristol was was very gay. There's there's been some surprises in here. I was also, also surprised. Coastal to find, Wales. Yeah, my hometown of Chinechi. Uh, say that three times fast. Chinechi, Chinechi, Chinechi. Had four percent, which <laughs> you know when we think about. Uh, I think Ottawa is much higher. I think it's like yeah, it's yeah. closer to ten percent in Ottawa. Um, and then Toronto, I think, is also closer to 10%. But I think Canada as a whole, the Canadian census data seems to show that there are a lot more queer Canadians um, compared to Britain. And then also we saw the census data coming out of the United States, which said that there were a million U.S. same-sex couples. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what we have to think about here is sort of the long arc of history. 
Now, the Canadian Social Survey has been asking questions about sexual orientation for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that uh, Canadians are now more comfortable than ever before in mm-hmm. in disclosing that information. But disclosing it and being asked it is relatively new in Britain and mm. in the United States. I believe this is the first census in Britain where they have asked questions around uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. So you mentioned earlier the percentage of people that didn't disclose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's partly what we're seeing here is maybe there is a discomfort in in revealing that information. And that's why Britain as a whole is less gay. <laughs> well, I'm not going to gonna make any assumptions about that six to eight percent, because you also you, you could have people who are just sort of like, uh, I don't know, like political libertarians who feel uncomfortable revealing anything to the state that they don't absolutely have to. Or it could be people who are who are gay, but just feel like it's nobody's business. Or it could be straight people who feel that it's inappropriate for the government to ask that question. Like it could be anything. Uh, the contents of that six to eight percent are very interesting, though. Um, it would be interesting if they had a follow up question like choose not to answer. And then why do you choose not to answer? Um, but they didn't really do that. Uh, usually you don't you don't do follow up questions on choose to not answer because that defeats the purpose of choosing to not answer. But uh, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Like it, it's it's really interesting and kind of mysterious as to what's in that six to eight percent. I don't necessarily think that's going to jump up the the total, you know, LGBTQ population of England and Wales up to a full. What would that be? Nine point five percent. I don't think that that six percent is fully LGBTQ. Um, but you're right. It's it's probably a higher number. Yeah. No, I agree. I I think that it's it. There is. It takes trust to reveal mm. to the government your, your sexual orientation. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's it's an it's an intrusive question. It's an mm-hmm. it's a deeply personal question, and uh, yeah, I can understand why maybe um, there is a little bit of hesitancy. I mean, essentially, what the 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 Office of National Statistics in the UK uh, in Britain discovered was that there are about one point four per one point five four percent. Uh, identified as gay and lesbian, but there's been a lot of reporting on the fact that 1.28% identified as bisexual. And Mm -hmm. the idea that uh, the often forgotten about uh, bisexuals of the world, or at least in Britain, uh, actually represent almost as many people as Mm -hmm. uh, those who are gay and lesbian. That uh, the the bi-erasure, the bi-invisibility that happens, uh, you know, is sort of, uh, that was one of the shock discoveries, I think, is just how many folks identify as bi and mm-hmm. how much more, uh, you know, it's almost as many as, you know, the lesbians and the gays combined. It, it is kind of the Ani DeFranco effect, you know, just because Ani Franco married a man doesn't mean she's not bisexual. And that that's definitely a thing. A lot of the, the bi erasure is, uh, and this is something I've actually heard from a lot of people who are bisexual. If they are not currently dating two people, people don't feel inspired to look at them as being anything other than gay or straight. So mm. it's, it, it's a thing that can happen. The, the number of people out there who are married with kids who are bisexual is a lot higher than a lot of people seem to think as well. So there, there's definitely that. 
it's definitely a lot to a lot to think about. We also discovered that I think it's 0.5% of the population identified as uh, trans in some way, Mm -hmm. you know, which I think is, you know, it's a pretty decent number. Um, You know, it's a a good number of people um, that that represents. And I think that's the other piece of this story. There is a lot happening in Britain right now in terms of the discussion around uh, trans identity, access to healthcare, mm-hmm. um, just the whole shebang. You know, I feel like in in Canada we're not immune to those conversations. There has been mm-hmm. some critical conversations around uh, disclosing uh, disclosing sexuality and gender identity in the school system. That's a particularly thorny topic right now. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, we might uh, we might pivot to that in just a few moments. But I think what has surprised quite a few Brits is just how many folks spread out throughout all of their communities mm-hmm. uh, do identify as trans. You know, it's we're not uh, they're not the unicorns that uh, that maybe they were fabled about. Well, I mean, 0.5 percent is is basically identifying as uh, like the umbrella of trans. So some of them are, are not trans per se. Some of them are, are gender non-conforming or non-binary or uh, something other than cisgender. Like it's a pretty big umbrella. And it, it's interesting because the number of times in the past where I've said, I've spoken to, to various people who are out in the community that, you know, the, the trans population appears to be like all inclusive appears to be somewhere between like 0.3 and 0.8%. And I've gotten pushback saying, Oh no, surely it's higher. But like 0.5%, that's one in 200 people. That's, that's a lot that that's quite a few people you know that that, that's not a small number it may sound like a a small number because it's a a percentage with a zero in it but yeah 0.5 percent that's one in 200 that's a lot of people well the the census counted about 260,000 people uh in Mm -hmm. england and wales that uh that uh identified as trans you know but this is i think falls below uh you know the What's the word I'm looking for here? The uh, the Ipsos poll in the UK identified 3.1%. Um, but, you know, in Canada, the census in Canada found that it was 0.33% of the Canadian mm. population. So, you the know, it's pretty on that, par. Uh, Oh, sorry. The difference between the, the census data and some of these other polling institutes, and this is something we've run into Canada as well, where we look at some of the data from various Canadian institutions that have tried to capture these numbers uh, other than the general social survey. And they come up with huge numbers. And then you look at the methodology section and you realize that they were basically polling people in downtown Toronto. And looking at this this heat map of gender and sexual orientation in England, like if they were in Cambridge, for example, Cambridgeshire has uh, about 80% are straight and cisgendered so 20 let's one in five people are lgbt in cambridgeshire so if you went to cambridgeshire if you were in the the london metropolitan area if you're in york or if you're in uh oh what was the other hotspot that we both discovered that was a shocking um humber not not humber norfolk uh, also by yeah, the way norfolk, to yeah. any brits listening i've never heard anyone refer to it as cambridgeshire uh, well, know. no, but that's what it's listed as <laughs> in, just... in the survey. It's listed as Cambridgeshire, the, the, the Shire of Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, sorry. Larger Cambridgeshire area is 90%, but specifically the city of Cambridge is, is 80%. Got it. Sorry. Nope, you corrected me there. But still, like, 
when you survey the whole country and you include the countryside, uh, you get a very different number than if you're just doing the metropolitan areas. And this is this is something that that I've had complaints with with some of the organizations in uh, Canada and how they serve the LGBT community is that there's such a huge emphasis on urban centers. And fair enough, from the looks of it, about half of the population, I'd love to see the actual numbers of that live in these hotspots, live in, in you know, Calgary, Vancouver, Montreal, uh, Toronto, probably Halifax as well. Like you got these hotspots, but that doesn't mean that there's nobody in, I don't know, Kamloops or 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 come by chance newfoundland or something you know like there's there's places all over and and some of these places are underserved and i think that's another interesting takeaway is because of the massive distribution across england and wales and we've seen similar things here in canada and similar things in the states as well versus the regions that actually get served by lgbtq community centers and lgbtq services and lgbtq uh, social clubs and whatnot, even prides. Like there have been debates here in Ottawa about how much to include the uh, the sort of rural surrounding regions. And the general answer is, well, you know, everyone in the countryside has a car they can drive to downtown. Um, but if you've ever lived in the countryside, you do not want to drive to downtown. It's it's a pain in the butt. But anyway, it, it's yeah. It this is one of those things that has huge implications on not just the population itself, not just the community itself, but it also could have an impact on uh, how services are deployed um, in England and Wales. Because England and Wales is, is way more likely to look into this kind of thing than I think Canada or the US is. The, um, the services there tend to be a lot more mindful of mm. places outside of the hotspots. Well, I think what it does is it also gives the queer community a sense of direction. Like, mm. you know, when I, I, you know, growing up um, in South Wales, I remember my, my mother warning me uh, as I was going to go meet up with some friends in Swansea uh, late one night. And it it comes to something when a parent has to warn their child that random acts of violence may befall them mm -hmm. if they look particularly gay that day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not that long ago that, uh, you know, what, you know, the, the term rolling a queer is uh, what was used in Britain. But mm -hmm. the, <clears throat> you know, I was, I was warned about that and I was, I was incredibly cautious you know, moving in and out of uh, the one or two gay clubs in Swansea. But seeing now that there's, what, four or five percent, or maybe I should have gone to Aberystwyth, which is 16 percent gay, which is just mm -hmm. truly astonishing. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, that's a lot of, that's, you know, that's, you, really, they're importing the gays at that point mm -hmm. because we're not we're not known for reproducing, and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a college town, fundamentally, it's a university town, and I think mm -hmm. that's that's where we're seeing these spikes. But my point here is, you know, if you're looking for somewhere to live and work, having a sense of am I going to go to a community that's sixteen percent gay? or, you know, 1% gay. And is that mm -hmm. important? Is that not important? Um, you know, personally, I like to be in an environment where uh, not necessarily that there is a lo lot of gay people, but rather as someone who is openly gay, being in an environment where it's not 
uh, an anomaly where it's yeah, not, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, where I'm not the unicorn walking down the street. You know, I'm not looking for, uh, you know, 16% representation. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, really, ideally, above four, I think, is uh, where, you know, where I would draw the line. At, at what percent of gay would you would you visit a town, uh, Sebastian? Where would, you, where would you draw the line? Well, I like the idea of a town that has a gay community, but I would never want to live in there. Uh, like when I lived in Toronto, I did not live near Young and, uh, oh, how can I not remember the name of the corner? Yeah, Church and Wellesley? Church and Wellesley, that's yeah. it, yeah. No, I lived, um, if anybody actually knows the Toronto area, I lived on Bloor Street across the street from the Caribbean Queen of Patties. And if you know Western Blur Street, everybody knows where the Caribbean Queen of Patties is. And I loved it there. It was great. It was just like you say, it was it, there, there was enough LGBTQ people about that. It wasn't weird, but I was surrounded by people who weren't just exactly like me. Like, I actually kind of like the idea of being out and about and talking with people. Uh, but also, if I did run into another gay, like, hey, that's nice. Yeah, there, there was a there was a, a paper store like a, a stationery store down the street from me and the people who work there from 200 paces there was no question um and you know the, the place felt safe the neighborhood felt safe that was good enough for me that's about what i need so i mean yeah if you want to go by percentages yeah i guess you know about five percent four, four to five percent that's about right Excellent. Well, I uh, I'm going to be writing a letter to uh, <laughs> Statistics Canada to see if they can make a similar map to this because I think the Office of National mm -hmm. Statistics in Britain having this map it was incredibly revealing. Yeah, and I think this conversation around data gathering, you know, what we saw it in the U.S. and mm -hmm. one of the things that kind of jumps out at me out of all of it, you know, it, it is interesting. And it's, you know, as a Brit, it, uh, it, you know, it certainly piqued my interest. But I think what it shows is the level of comfort in disclosure. It was really interesting to see that Britain's uh, self-disclosure of trans folks is about proportional to Canada's self-disclosure yeah. of trans folks yeah, you know yeah. there are there have been a lot of surveys that estimated that trans folks are about one percent so one in a hundred but mm -hmm. really we're at 0.3 percent in both of these countries so that's what one in 300 people mm -hmm. you know that's still you know if you've that's got a decent a you know if you've got a decent yeah. sized uh, school for example that's you know one or two people or if you're in a workplace with you know 300 other people that's you know good good odds there um, but it, I know it just helps to give an understanding of, you know, especially when it has become the cause du jour, regulating access mm -hmm. to washrooms, access to participate in sports. You know, are we talking about 15 people or 15,000 people? Well, in Britain, they're talking about 260,000 people. So it, it, it makes it a little bit more real when you get a real sense of, of the data and the statistics. Yes, uh, and if we do that kind of a, a heat map in uh, uh, Canada, I would also love to see them sort the data according to metropolitan, urban, suburban, and rural. Although Canada has the unique thing where rural and the north are two separate things. Um, do you have to drive for an hour to see a doctor, or do you need an eight-hour flight to see a doctor? They're, they're 
pretty pretty different yeah i'm not gonna lie sebastian i don't think statistics canada is gonna create a map based on how many hours to your doctor um, no, they, would, I mean. they would probably do it based on uh the ridings which is well, what it, i believe just, uh the ons one was uh, cross-referencing so uh, uh that that's really what i'm talking about like how many um gay men live in the countryside how many lesbian women live in uh metropolitan centers how many trans folks live in the north that kind of thing that's what i'm talking about like like taking the categories and then you know doing your grid and then you fill it in with your percentages and then you do a chi-square test to see if it makes sense but anyway that that kind of thing i i like i like that sort of breakdown to see um you know because if there are basically essentially in the entire canadian general social survey no trans people living in remote north or uh rural areas which i don't think is a thing but you know if they did discover that for example then that would have a lot of implication for uh, resource deployment mm -hmm. so i kind of like that that idea of looking into that more deeply and saying you know where is everyone located i mean th there is the stereotype as well that all the gay men live downtown and all the lesbians live in the countryside on a farm with well two i don't think anyone dogs. was expecting i mean everyone knew the gays would be in brighton i mean that's a bit yeah. of an, you know that's a given yeah. but who knew that norfolk was you know, a queer haven i mean there are there are surprises and i think yeah. that what you're saying is armed with this information we're now yes. much better prepared to yes. to respond to it and likewise maybe there is uh some things here that uh the canadians can also mm -hmm. learn um, but my takeaway is that, on the whole, Canada is just a little bit gayer than, mm -hmm. uh, than Britain. And uh, Britain was surprisingly far more bisexual than, uh, than we, we ever thought before. So that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, British culture reacts to that in the next little oh, while. Oh, please. I've watched EastEnders. No one's surprised by the number of bisexual people in England. Okay. Maybe Wales, but not England. <laughs> All right. We're going to be jumping to uh, this is Fighting Chance with their track Godfrey. And uh, nope, sorry, I got them in the wrong order. This is uh, The Definition featuring the goat by Melo Halo. And we'll be back just after this.
Welcome back to Kankwe, home of Canada's uh, Korean media. My name is Luke Smith, and uh, Sebastian has joined me, but we're just going to give him a hot second to turn his mic on. Hello, I was <laughs> on mute, and I am fine now. Uh, okay. I am Sebastian. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, it has been, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think the, the sort of background uh, heavy vocal there was from the GOAT. Uh, Milo Halo, uh, all of our artists today are uh, self-identified as LGBT and they are Canadian. So Canadian queer representation, incredibly important. Um, now, you actually, you came with an interesting stat about uh, wheat allergies. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking up uh, uh, what health conditions are analogous uh, like what what in the wild is about 0.5% of the population just to sort of give me give myself an idea of the the analog between that and the number of trans people not to say that trans people uh, I just started with health conditions because I have a whole bunch of rare ones myself but yeah about uh, wheat allergies are about the same um, and uh, not celiac disease not gluten intolerance but like there are people who can't eat uh, gluten products because they're allergic to wheat like pollen it's like people who get allergic to peanuts or kiwis or whatever and they the people with wheat allergies have a very similar reaction yeah it's about it's about analogous so you know and they're starting to put gluten-free stuff on a lot of menus now and uh i don't know that they they should have uh trans stuff in a lot of uh health center menus i don't know I, I, I feel like there's a half an idea here that could be formed. Yeah. But you know what I mean. But I, I think what you've done is you've kind of, <laughs> it, it, you know, this idea of, you know, half a percent, 0.3%. How do you, you know, what, what does that actually look like? But I feel mm. like we all know somebody that's got a wheat, and allergy, a wheat allergy. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, oh, okay. It's about as common as wheat allergies is, uh, is easier to, uh, to, to empathize with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that we saw, and it was the unexpected consequence, and very unexpected consequence, to the Roe v. Wade decision in the United States. Now, just a quick reminder, Roe v. Wade was uh, the, the case that allowed for uh, really widespread abortion access in the United States. Um, that got knocked down, becoming a state-by-state kaleidoscope of different uh, regulations and one of the things that has emerged as an unintended consequence is people's choice uh, in creating and in uh, participating uh, in, in mature cinema. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you, the, the audience is well enough aware as to what I'm inferring with mature cinema. But the the unintended consequence is the 
anything created featuring or related to pregnancy nosedive. They nobody wants to acknowledge being pregnant um, or, or you know create content while and during because of the legal jeopardy, which I thought was really quite interesting in in certain states. Um, you know the idea about access to to uh, medical care, but also there was. Uh, uh, I'm sure some folks are familiar with OnlyFans and other similar services, but one of the services, I think it's called Sin Party, uh, in the States, according to uh, the reporting that we were looking at, they found that their users had significantly increased the production of um, really content that you would imagine would be for the lesbian community. Uh, mm -hmm. But it is because there is zero risk of children. Okay, and that that particular material has skyrocketed in terms of both production and viewership uh, as a result of the Roe v. Wade. I did not have a boon in uh, lesbian cinema as part of my uh, consequences for the Roe v. Wade decision uh, bingo card. I did that surprise you, Sebastian? It is a bit. Yeah, strange. Um, but I mean, um, men can just as easily get a uh, oh, what's it called? Or they they the the they tie your tubes. What what am I thinking of? The the snip and clip. What's it called? <laughs> Although really, what they do is they inject glue into your uh, your vas deferens or or oh, what is it called? There, there's somebody out there who's yelling at their their radio because they know exactly what it, vasectomy. That's the word I'm looking for. There you go. You'd think there'd be a lot more. Uh, 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 gentlemen performers with uh, vasectomies. Mm -hmm. To to mitigate uh, and minimize risk, as it were. But yeah, no, I thought that that was uh, I don't know. It's, it was on the top of the things that I recently uh, recently was was reading about, hmm. and uh, I was a little bit surprised about that. Now I want to pivot slightly to. Um, to Canada, we have been following a story out of Oakville with the Halton School District uh, in particular and one of their uh, teachers who opted for, um, well, I mean, for our audience, they probably are aware of this, but there was a teacher in the Oakville School Board who opted for, uh, a trans teacher who opted for I think it was triple K breasts. Now, mm -hmm. these things, we've described them as distractingly sized. You know, mm -hmm. it is, they, they are, they are um, prominent and distracting. And I think that that has raised a lot of concerns with teachers. There's been significant debate. The Halton District School Board has quite rightly indicated that under the Ontario Human Rights Code, uh, they can't discriminate based on gender expression. And this would fall under gender expression. Uh, but one of the things that seems to have riled people up the wrong way is the Haunted District School Board is now quite politely asking people not to photograph this, uh, I believe, a substitute teacher, um, mm -hmm. because they don't, they just, as a rule, don't allow photographing of 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 people in in you know in private spaces. You know, it's not, uh, um, you know, it's not a public sidewalk. Um, but yeah, it's 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 caused a bit of a, a kerfuffle. And what I wanted to ask you, Sebastian, around mm -hmm. this is very often 
the headlines zero in on, you know, attention-grabbing things like, you know, trans teacher with massive appendages, uh, mm-hmm. you know, refused to be photographed or, you know, school board of denies. But what it does is it distracts from what is a universal rule, what is a universal, you know, uh, human right across all of Ontario that is being applied in this in this one somewhat sensational case. But mm-hmm. the rule is, is consistent. The law is consistent. The no photography is consistent. You know, how do you feel about when things are sort of extrapolated and, and, and dramatized in this way? Well, this is a pretty deep conversation, actually. So, uh, the the you get into the slippery slope argument when you that that's one of the things that can come up when you talk about this sort of thing. You know, if you allow this, then you allow that, and then you allow that. And where does it end? And and the truth is that it ends where you say that it ends. And that's the number one reason why the slippery slope argument. Uh, it's not a very good argument because all you have to do is say that, you know, we will allow X, Y, Z up to this point. And then you define what that point is. And you say that is that is the point where we do not allow it anymore. And it is not a slippery slope anymore. It's pretty easy. Um, in this case, I think part of the issue is that there's a lot of things going on at the same time. And what to do with what <laughs> is definitely an issue. So looking at social media about a year ago, when, well, not a year ago, but back in the, the summer when this, uh, when this story started breaking, it was a lot of the students at the school who were taking the pictures and going to social media. And some of them were complaining. Some of them were not. Uh, some of them were just like, I don't know what to think about this. Um, and the parents were more concerned about how distracted well they weren't more concerned they they were equally as concerned about how distracted their children were uh, as they were about the actual substitute teacher themselves and, and their parents so there there was a lot going on here um and i don't know with, with regards to the pictures uh, that's an issue of the relationship between the youth and social media in general um there there is an issue i don't know there there's an argument to be made that nobody under the age of 18 should have a smartphone in a school flip phone chuckle bar phone whatever your basic nokia uh for emergency calls or come pick me up and that kind of thing but I, i've seen there are schools out there that allow no smartphones because of how distracting they can be and because you can do things like this take embarrassing pictures and ruin people's lives that's a completely separate argument but when it comes to things like this and you have a law about gender expression or tolerance or acceptance or uh, creating a safe environment. Um, Some rules can be exploited. And if they are, you just compensate for that. And some things can be overapplied. And if they are overapplied, then you compensate for that. That's where all things being equal clauses come in. That's where sub clauses come in. They haven't felt inspired so far to do such a thing with the gender inclusion policies in the Oakville School Board. So at this point in time, it's an issue of if you don't like the rules, change them. But the rules are as they are. And, and considering how the rules are, this is a fair this is a fair determination. That's 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 how I would put it. If you don't think the rule is fair, if you don't like how this rule is being applied, then there's a separate conversation to be made about whether or not that rule should exist as it is or if there should be sub clauses. Yeah, I think what this case, and apparently it's size Z breasts, which I, I, I didn't even, 
I realized the alphabet was that high. I just didn't realize that measuring went that high. But mm -hmm. I think what it does, you know, there were really this has become a concern because a lot of students were making TikToks about yep. this uh, this teacher who recently, I believe, uh, injured their foot, so has been substituting in other schools in the network. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, really, you know, what has been described as uh, distracting. Um, at the very least, uh, several students are now responding by, by making TikToks. But also, you know, videoing somebody without their permission, without their participation, uh, is not appropriate, you know, regardless of, of you know, who it, uh, who it is. And I think you're right. I think this, this universal applying of the rules, when it comes to the extremes, I can see, I can see the challenges. But we're seeing, you know, certain certain media outlets picking up on this and uh, really emphasizing the outrage, out emphasizing the the duality of, oh, sorry, the, the 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 contrast in terms of how these are being responded to. You know, mm -hmm. I think the Halton District School Board is between a very jagged, pointy rock. Uh, and a very, very uncomfortable hard place uh, mm -hmm. in that there isn't really a huge amount that they can do, you know, uh, mm -hmm. th their teachers are protected, uh, you know, to be able to express themselves and their gender in whichever way that becomes uh, possible. Maybe a review of their dress code uh, in line with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, provincially is needed. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think their hands are tied uh, and this is just they've they've come up against what is the extreme. You know, we yeah. talk about, you know, how would you know, how would you react with an extreme example? Well, they have to they have to live with it. So we'll see mm -hmm. how they respond after this. All right. Um, just before we jump to our next song, I wanted to mention and I think I've alluded it to a few times that Canada's not immune to hostile discussions, but also important conversations around balancing rights and expectations. Uh, there was a bit of a debate recently around uh, whether or not teachers should disclose the gender identity and gender expression um, of their students. But also, I think this kind of blew up because there was uh, a conversation around whether or not uh, other students in a class should disclose uh, a student's gender identity or gender expression. Let me let me flesh this out for you. Let's mm -hmm. say there is a student in their class who has identified as trans, um, but is not out to their parents. So right. is being asked to keep that private to just the classroom environment. I mm -hmm. think the question becomes quite difficult to address when the other students, are they at liberty to disclose? Are they being asked not to disclose this to not only that student's parents, but also their own parents? You know, and mm -hmm. I think that that becomes a very tricky uh, situation. You know, are we asking students to withhold information from their parents? That's a very, mm -hmm. very uh, risky place to be in. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's so intensely personal, and for some students, we can't lose fight, sight of the fact that in Canada, a disproportionate number of homeless youth are homeless because of their gender identity, gender expression, or sexual orientation. 
it is a horrific fact of Canada that there are some families who react with such vitriol and hate that they ostracize and, and uh, kick out their own children when they discover that they may be gay or lesbian or trans or, mm-hmm. or variations thereof. So it is important to protect our youth. But I don't know, it's it's a tricky line to draw. And I think that uh, there's been some Canadian school boards uh, uh, where this debate has really lit up in the last couple of weeks about where do you draw that line. What do you think, Sebastian? You know, should should the classrooms be an enclosed space? You know, is there... Does that include withholding information from all of the parents or some of the parents? What do you think? I think, I mean, this is this is the is-ought distinction here because uh, ought it be true? Absolutely. But is it true? No, people talk. Um, and it, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's fair to hope for that to be the case, but there's always, you can't control what people say. You can't control what people think and you can't control what people do when you're not looking at them. And I don't know, the, the, a lot of LGBT people have, have for a long time have kind of accepted, you know, if you don't want anyone to know, don't go around telling everyone. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if, if you want to live comfortably, especially as a trans person, because like if you're gay, lesbian or bisexual, it is much easier to be in the closet than if you are trans, because if you are trans quite often, not always, but quite often, other people kind of can tell, um, especially if you want to live as trans in your daily life. Other people will be able to tell that it's pretty hard to hide that. So it's it's kind of, um, you know, the like I've heard people call it closet privilege, uh, oh, passing which, privilege. Yeah. Yeah. And I well, I mean, there, there's passing privilege and then there's just closet. But like the, you have the privilege of even being in the closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess, yeah, it falls under as a subtitle of, of passing privilege and calling everything blank privilege sometimes can be kind of cringe. But on on this occasion, I think that is a, that is a thing. But asking everyone in a in a room to comply with your desire to keep a secret um is kind of not fair because what if they it's not even a matter of them being homophobic or not it could just be an issue of what if they don't care you know it it doesn't affect them personally so you know filing that away as a piece of information of not only are they trans but they they don't want anyone else outside that room to know people are going to slip up and Mm -hmm. it's it may not be filled with malice it could just be filled with you know incompetence or or just human foibles and that kind of thing can happen and i would love to say yes they ought to be able to come out whenever they want but the reality of it is that that may not be realistic quite often that's what that's what uh, safe spaces are for that's what the um the old gay straight alliances which are now falling under a, a rainbow of titles but the the sort of lgbt drop-in centers that's partly what those are there for is to have you know a nice space where you can go to and if really what you're looking for is support among your peers um you can get that in a safe space i wish you could get that in your entire school but if you can't i mean unfortunately and it, it's harsh to say but you, you kind of have to roll with the the cards that have been dealt with you and 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 handle it you know with as much maturity as as you can you can draw up and if if your school doesn't have 
some kind of a safe space, then you've definitely got an issue for sure. Yeah, but I, th- I don't know. Yeah, per I think year, I think most uh, of them do. I think it's unreasonable to expect all children in the class to withhold information from their parents. I realize yeah. that, you know, parents bump into each other at the grocery store, at the mm-hmm. pick up and drop off, at, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the school dance. And there, there's conversations that happen, things that are innocuously said, left, right, and mm-hmm. center. And, you know, there is a potential that uh, things may may slip. Um, so I don't know. I just I can see why there's a, there's the careful balance of privacy and disclosure, um, but also we have to be practical and reasonable. And I think it's probably impractical and unreasonable to expect mm-hmm. a, a class of children to to not tell their parents, um, but also unreasonable to to put that expectation on them. Um, but I, I mean, think you're right. I think yeah. more dedicated spaces are certainly the most uh, appropriate uh, place to go. I don't even think this is about teenagers. I think it'd be unreasonable to expect any group of adults, if you have more than 12 people, I would say, to to keep a secret. And again, not because of malice, just because, you know, two people are chatting and, uh, oh, hey, did, 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 uh, what's his face give you your shoes back that he borrowed? And be like, what are you talking about? Like, why would a, a guy be borrowing lady shoes? And then one thing leads to another. And then, oh, you got a conversation on your hands. Like, it could be completely innocuous. So, I mean, it, it's it's difficult. And, um, yeah, th- there's no easy answer. Absolutely. Well, I think that these are things that school boards are trying to measure with, trying to, to sort of grapple with. And mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not easy. And, and, you know, I think it's certainly something that I don't envy our our educators uh, trying mm-hmm. to, to trying to find this balance for sure. What uh, what are the new stories have you found uh, most recently? Well, I mean, going back to the uh, to what you're saying earlier about uh, adult entertainment, there's a, a growing movement in the U.S. and actually, I've I've seen politicians talking about it in Canada, but it just hasn't there hasn't been any pen to paper yet of requiring official ID in order to access uh, uh, adult cinematic sites. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a split on this in terms of opinion. And and some people are saying that that's going to be the government's way of tracking you. And and fair enough, this is one of those situations where some people are acting in ways that like part of my brain is like, that's that's a little bit paranoid. And the other half is like, yeah, but that's rooted in history. So there, there are people who are saying they don't want that because they don't want the government to know their their porn preferences and they think that that could be used against them in the future they could they they're afraid that that could be used to track down lgbt folks or straight people who are in the closet or you could even i don't know you could even not be lgbt identified but you know you click on a thing and you click on a thing and then you accidentally click on a thing and next thing you know it it's in your viewing history that you watched a thing that you don't care for i mean just to be clear here what we're talking about is legislation that was introduced in louisiana yes so louisiana has definitely passed and there's another five or six states that are in the process of passing that now the reason so it's really interesting i've seen this reported on a dozen different sites in all of them are taking a very different angle on how they report the story. It is so fascinating. This is my, my favorite thing about this story isn't the story itself, but it's you can tell a news source's political bias by how they talk about it. 
So something that I've seen a lot of people talking about is the the woman, the the uh, the representative who passed this law is has also been historically in favor of not forcing, but in permitting uh, conversion therapy. Uh, but something that another news source I looked at had more emphasis on the fact that it's predicted that somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of regular visitors of adult sites are below the age of 16. So by putting the requirement for official ID, what they're trying to do is stem the effects. And they're still trying to figure out what the social implications of watching pornography under the age of Depends on what age you're talking about. Yeah, depends the, on what the you're, age you're, of consent for your Jewish The age of consent. Exactly. Well, I mean, there are people who say you shouldn't watch it under the age of 25 because your brain is still developing and blah, blah, blah. It depends on who you're talking to. But definitely minors. Like, if you're under the age of 18, I think most people would be like, okay, well, brain development aside, you're a minor. You should probably not have access to it. So the idea is basically you need uh, official ID so that you can access the site to sort of stem the number of 11-year-olds. Of um, and there are other... Um, there are other proposals that I've, I've read from the U.S. that are saying that there should no longer be such a thing as free pornography, even if it's like 10 cents just to get onto the website. It still shows up on your credit card so that if somebody is watching it behind your back, then you could look at the credit card and be like, what's this? So it's really interesting seeing the the different angles looking at this. But there is sort of a, a worry among some LGBT activists in the States um, and I've actually seen people here in Canada starting to get concerned about that as well, uh, looking at it as the potential for government monitoring. Now, the idea that there are as many underage folks watching hardcore internet high speed pornography as there are, I think that's well, that's I mean, a negative. I would, would want to see some 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 real evidence of that before before the sort of. Uh, reacting and uh, kind of oh, there's this, plenty out there. Yeah. There, uh, there's there's a lot of surveys on this. Surveys and and actually, here's the thing: I looked it up on Google Scholar, not on on websites, because there are actual academics who are looking into this, and the numbers vary according to who you're talking to. But it's it's not a small number. It is not a small number. There's a lot of people on there who probably shouldn't be on there. Um, so it's it's really interesting how this story is being spun, and to me. The new story is the story just because the number of sources I've gone to and how they talk about it is so varied. But yeah, mm -hmm. the, the idea that, that that could come to Canada as a talking point of um, no free pornography or pornography must have ID involved. Um, I don't know. I think there's a way to do this that that is creepy and kind of big brothery, and there's a way to do this that is healthy and constructive for society. And I think it's just a matter of execution. And I think the way they did it in Louisiana is leaning a little bit towards the oof. Uh, but I think there's a way to do this that isn't necessarily a negative thing. Well, I think what all three of our conversations today have really indicated is that it is a tricky, tight walk to balance <laughs> competing social views uh -huh. on everything from accessing uh, mature cinema to uh, disclosure of identities in schools. And I, I think mm -hmm. that we are in a difficult time, you know, mm -hmm. and it's because we're having a lot more of these incredibly private conversations 
in a much more public way mm-hmm. uh, as yeah. the government looks at how do we respond to this, how do we protect each other, how do we protect our, our, our young and our vulnerable, but also how do we not overstep? How do we ensure yeah. that there is uh, equal access? How do we ensure that there is um, you know, freedom of gender expression? How do we ensure that uh, young folks can explore their sexuality in a healthy way um, without, uh, you know, Big Brother sort of leaning down on them? Mm-hmm. These are these are not easy things to answer. Um, certainly not something we'll be able to get to um, in the next few minutes. But mm-hmm. we will get to our next uh, last song. This is Fighting Chance by... Uh, sorry, this is Godfrey by Fighting Chance. Uh, I've been Nick Smith. And I've been Sebastian, and thank you for listening. When all you have just makes you mad.